Brands and Barbed Wire is sponsored by Cattle Baron Cigars. Cattle Baron Cigars has a rich, natural, aromatic, classic tobacco flavor. Made with the finest tobacco, perfectly blended for the most pleasant, satisfying, long ash you can buy anywhere. Cattle Baron Cigars has consistently scored an excellent in the 90s on their reviews. For more in-depth information on Cattle Baron Cigars, listen to our Brian Mussard podcast episode and visit cattlebaroncigars.com. Welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and I'll take you behind the brands and we'll look through the barbed wire at some of the most iconic ranches in the world. So sit back, kick off your boots, and prepare to be entertained as I introduce you to those captivating stories from the legends of the brands and where there's no barbed wire that's going to hold us back. On today's episode of Brands and Barbed Wire, we hear from a family operation who is immersed in the Pure Red Angus business. We hear about perseverance, ambition, and how some things just happen for a reason. We learn about family ranching from two of my favorite people, Rob and Lori Thomas of Thomas Angus Ranch in Baker City, Oregon. Rob and Lori, welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. Thanks, Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, great. Great to have you guys. And um, so for the folks that don't know uh, Rob and Lori Thomas, why don't you guys um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and and, uh, about ranching where where you live? Well, uh, we live in Baker City, Oregon, Jim, uh, kind of a high desert area, beautiful mountainous uh, valley. Um, you know, just very lucky to be here. But uh, Lori and I wanted to do this together because we do everything as a team. And it's, it's pretty important that, uh, you know, we're both on the same page and such. And so so um, I asked actually asked Lori to be on here with me to kind of um, give me a uh, the, the color commentary and such. I'll let her tell you, you a little bit about our family and such. Yeah, so uh, I've been, Rob and I've been back in the business for like about 35 years here in Baker City. Um, we have two children, our son Ty, who is 26, and he and his wife, Rachel, are living in Boston. And our daughter, Bryson, who is 23, and she is currently living in Kansas. We're just blessed to have them be a little bit involved in what we're doing. Several years from now, we're hoping that we have some come back and want to be involved in this business that we love so much. They're a huge part of our life and have been a huge part of us, you know, doing what we do here at the ranch. Yeah, Boston, Massachusetts, that's a little little ways from Baker City, Oregon, isn't it? Just a tad, just a tad. We were, we were just out there and it, it's a ways. <laughs> and it's probably a little culturally different, I, I would guess as well. Yes, <laughs> it, it is. You know, we uh, we love to travel, see different, you know, different areas and such. So actually, Boston has been um, kind of a treat for us. We always enjoy going back there and visiting that. So tell us a little bit about uh, ranching in in Baker City, Oregon. What's that like? Well, we're we're high desert. When I say desert, we get about eight to ten inches of rain a year. So, I mean, there's, we're, we're truly a desert, big country, um, which requires a lot of land for, for, for cattle live out here, but it's, but it's gorgeous and it's just cattle country. And so that's, you know, that's what we focus on is, um, you know, raising cattle that kind of adapt to this environment. And, you know, it's, it's helped us kind of, uh, focus our uh, program on, on the cow 
and making sure that the cow can fit fit into um, and into this you know rugged terrain. And um, along with that, you know, she's they've got to do everything else. But first and foremost, you know, the animal has to adapt to these to these rugged conditions. We have we have a lot of winter here. And so, you know, we feed often, you know, five, six months a year of, of stored forage and the rest of the time most of those cows are out there. Some some pretty big ground. And so so that's you know, that gives you a little bit of an idea of um of, of kind of what, what the environment looks like. Yeah, you bet. Good. So um so take us back to the the beginning of Thomas Angus Ranch and maybe who started it. How did you end up in Oregon? I mean picking places to raise cattle that might not have been uh, your first choice if you were traveling, but how did you guys end up in Oregon and, and where'd you get started? Yes. Good question, Jim. My, my, my dad started, uh, or my parents started in North, Northwest Iowa. My dad came out of world war two, bought his first Angus cattle in the late forties from uh, Kenneth McGregor and bought a uh, cow calf pair and a bull. And he grew up on a farm that was, I mean, I think they barely scratched out a living. All they did was farming, had a few, you know, cows on the side. But he knew he wanted something different than farming. And so he knew he wanted to get into the, you know, into the Angus business. And that's really where his heart was at. Um, he, uh, he met my mother. Um, they got married, um, I think, in the late 40s and um, were there for a few years. And then they had the chance um, to move to New York to work for a gentleman named Myron First. And um, Myron was, you know, he's kind of a cornerstone in the Angus breed. And so they moved back there and worked for Myron for probably a year or two. Is that right, Lori? Yeah. And interestingly enough, um, I might add that what what I was, what they always told me and when I came to the family is that Rob's dad knew that he didn't want to farm. He had love for the cow. He knew he was in the wrong place in the early 50s, late 40s, early 50s to raise purebred cattle. He needed to he wanted to learn more. So at that time, if you look at history of Angus cattle, the you know hotbed, like so many of the really influential Angus breeders were actually in New York State. So he sent out letters to all a bunch of breeders up in New York trying to find a job as a herd. And Myron first, like Rob said, was the first one that called and said, sure, you know, we'd be happy. We'd love to have you here. You know, let's, let's do it. Well, that, that required for Rob's parents at that time, they already had three children. Rob has three older sisters and they, those, the girls were all already born. And um, so Rob's parents dispersed the Angus cows they had. I think they sold about everything, all their furnishings, loaded everything that they had with the three girls in a station wagon and left before the their sale was over to get to New York from Iowa. So it took a lot of grit, I would say, to like sell everything, you know, have this big dream, like you want, I want to be an Angus breeder and to sell everything they had to make that dream come true and drag, you know, a wife and three kids to, you know, upstate New York to get involved in this Black Angus business. So that's always been kind of our life lesson is, um, you know, putting everything on the line, uh, you know, risking it all in, in search of that dream. And so he he worked for Myron for, I believe, a couple of years 
had the opportunity to work with Les and Lee Leachman at that time. And um, so it was kind of, it was a, just a great learning experience. Looking back on it, it was historical, you know, just to, to know that you're working, you know, at the very beginnings of Ankeny and, um, and uh, just, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty special. And then he had the opportunity to move on to C.B. Whitney, at Whitney Estates, who were um, very, you know, at that time, very big in the Angus business, but even bigger in the thoroughbreds, the racehorse business. And, um, but just the opportunity to continue to grow and to, um, you know, see what, what, what was out there and learn more about Angus cattle. And, and at that time, watch the hub of the Angus business um, grow. But he knew he wanted to move out west. And he knew that that's where, you know, his future in the cattle business uh, would be. And so, again, sending out more letters, he found a gentleman on the West Coast by uh, in Oregon, actually, out just right outside of Portland, Oregon, on a place called Savi's Island. And he uh, went to work for, for him. Well, it wasn't what, you know, they had laid out. The guy was maybe not quite ethical. And so he worked for there there for a very short time, and um, then actually went to loading trucks and loaded trucks for probably two three years just to support his family and took the extra money and bought more Angus cows and kept them in Iowa at uh, my my mother's parents' house and uh, on their little farm and then um, kind of continued just to accumulate a small herd during this time and out would you have been born or did he did did he load the three sisters your three sisters up and move them across or were you involved in this in this move across the country this time i was born right at the very end of us living in savi's island i think i was probably three or four months old when we left savi's island he's the only true oregonian in the whole family (laughs) he's the only one that was born in oregon Okay. You can tell because I have wet feet. <laughs> so, we we <laughs> had good. the chance to move to Eastern Oregon, which was more of the ranching area. Well, I Oregon. think he knew. I think he they knew that if his dream was to have you know a robust bull business, and you know being on the west side of Oregon, if you know anything about Oregon, that's not where the cattle are. And so they knew they needed to, to come a little further back east. And um, found an opportunity to be in Baker and work for Freeman Angus Ranch, which was a prominent Angus ranch um, here in Eastern Oregon at that time. And he, he worked for them and along with, you know, building up his own herd, selling bulls and consignment sales with them throughout the West. So I'm, I think he, really did, he did that for several years until um, they thought they could make a go of it on their own. So had their cattle shipped out here, um, oddly or interestingly, um, the last last group of cattle that came by rail into Haynes, Oregon, which is about 15 miles from Baker City. And Rob's dad was still working, you know, I guess we call it now having a side gig. He worked for Powder River Equipment, would travel around to um, state fairs and sell equipment to subsidize their income and um, just kept doing, you know, doing that until they could make enough income off, you know, the cattle to support their family. 
what I found interesting was when you said, you know, he, he mailed out all these letters to try to find, uh, try to find a management job somewhere, a herdsman job. You know, he didn't, he didn't get on LinkedIn and, and yeah. put his resume out there. Right. And, and like we would today, I mean, you know, how much, uh, how much work and, and getting those and writing those letters and, and sending that information out to everybody would, would that have been like back then? I mean, it's not like you, uh, you just pick it up. I mean, I, I, you know, it was much, much, much after the Pony Express, but still it took a little while for mail to get someplace and then for somebody to respond and either call or mail back or whatever. I mean, I, it, it had to take some time as well. It was, you know, and, and Jim, we got rid of the Pony Express just a few years ago out here in East Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it was, you know, and just, just the amount of time involved, the delays, you know, between between letters and such, um, you know, was, was, was pretty tremendous. Well, and I think the patience, it just points to, I think, what we can look at in our generation. You know, they had the patience and persistence to, you know, that things didn't have to happen, like, just right away. And I think we live in a world now that we just expect instant answers, instant results. And the fact that, you know, it took a lot of work. And like I said, perseverance and patience and persistence to, you know, make the dream happen. And, um, you know, they, they learned a lot along the way. I mean, when they were alive, um, you know, they would tell stories of just, you know, as, Rob's dad was working in New York, honing, honing his experiences, honing his craft, you know, as far as raising cattle. He showed a lot of cattle because at that time, that was how you marketed cattle. So he, you know, I think he looked at it like he had the advantage of being able to travel and show cattle, you know, all over the country. And um, all those things just go into um, you know, him building the cattleman that he was, but yeah, none of this happened quickly. There was no LinkedIn or any other way, you know, to try to find a job. It was, it was the old school way for sure. And along with that, you, you spoke of letters and probably one of the biggest opportunities they had when they first moved here uh, to Baker's, we purchased a bull at that time. His name was Monterpose Big John, and he's probably the bull that that um, changed our our business as, as as much as anybody, but through that, then we were able to um, sell a group of females to Jimmy Stewart, the actor. And so my mom has never been a saver of things, but she kept all of the letters, um, the correspondence between our ranch and Jimmy Stewart's ranch, which was in Hawaii. And so it's just interesting, um, just going back on that. And I know that it was, you know, you could, you could, um, you know, see in the, in the correspondence, you know, how much impact that made on, on my parents. And that was probably uh, one of the big uh, tipping points um, that my parents saw. Coincidentally, that herd then sold to Parker Ranch, who I know you had on a previous podcast. And that, that's the basis for their, for their purebred cow herd on Parker yeah, I was getting ready to say. I think you've you've touched about every previous episode so far of of Brands and Barbed Wire with Leachmans and Ankeny and and Parker Ranch, and so uh, we got a few more, and so we can probably we can probably name everybody that you guys have, have, have impacted. That's awesome. So at this point, he's working side jobs with Powder River and and uh, 
and finally got to where they could they could maybe go on their own and and when did you rob start getting involved in the in the family business and interest in cattle and and the, and what happened then well i consider myself a late bloomer <laughs> but, <laughs> but i know is uh our first sale was in 1973 and so you know i would have been 11 at that at that point just 11 huh okay yeah, yeah. So it it snowed uh, terribly hard our first sale, and um, I know somebody said that I was actually sledding that day uh, of our first sale. So I think it was just shortly after that. But no, I I, I love the business, you know, from from the very beginning. You know, it, it probably wasn't um, it wasn't long after that that I really I really had a hunger to learn more about the business and desire, you know, to kind of carry, carry on the tradition of Thomas Angus Ranch. Well, and I think that, you know, Rob probably won't say, but say this, but though the kids, you know, Rob's three sisters and Rob, you know, they were very much involved in the operation. I mean, they, they were the hired hand, you know, they were the ones that were working right alongside with their parents, whether it was hanging or, you know, Clipping or getting cattle ready for sale or whatever, you know, whatever needed to be done, irrigating. The the kids did all that stuff right alongside with Bob and Gloria, which really, in my opinion, um, really taught them the value of work. I would say all of Rob and all of his siblings aren't, they don't shy away from the work. And I think that is just a testament to you know, how, how they were raised and how they were involved in the operation from the, you know, the moment that they could be. I mean, you, you obviously inherited that because your, your dad had a dream and he stuck with it no matter what happened. I mean, obstacles that, that, that came up or whatever. I mean, that, that's a definite testament to, um, to his ambition and, uh, and work ethic as well. So, so then, then you're 11 first sale. And um, do you remember how many bulls you would have sold then, and and how has it grown sort of over the years? And I think that first year was about seventy. You know, we we patterned that first sale kind of after Erdman's at that time, where a lot of the bulls were selling it uh, right off the side of their mothers, so they'd actually be weaned that day, and and, uh, and that was kind of that was kind of new at that at that point. You know, it was before genomics, and so we, you know, people kind of wanted to see, you know. For the most part, how they kind of grow out, but but at the same point, you know, they'd want to get a chance at the newest, freshest genetics, and so that that was that was um, you know a little different. This sale we'll we'll have coming up this year will be our fiftieth sale, and so it's um, you know kind of a special one. But things have changed a lot, but in some respects, we still sell a handful of bull calves, knowing a lot more about them now with genomics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember when I first sort of heard about you, you were still selling some of those young bull calves. That was your sale, selling them right off the cow. And that was, that was interesting and different at the time, but you, you got along with them very well. And I assume you don't do that anymore other than just a few handful. You most of them are, are yearlings or older now. Yeah. You know, in our, in our fall sale, um, we'll sell maybe 30 to 40, um, of those, of those bulls. But for the most part, yeah, we, they, they're they're older bulls and uh, a little more data you know be behind them and and so but we still have we still have customers some of them bought through our first sale and they they like buying those bull calves because they can develop them the way they want you're, you're at this point you're growing up on the ranch and 
what uh, what did you do then? Where did you where did you end up going to school? And and I assume that maybe uh, enter stage left. Uh, <laughs> some, some, some lady, some lady named <laughs> named Lori. You're not leading me here, are you? <laughs> I went to school at Kansas State University. Was an AGR there. Uh, met uh, a young man named Bryce Schumann, and then uh, then his daughter showed up, or his his, his, his sister showed up, okay. and, uh, and and so um, anyway. Uh, Pretty much love at first sight, and so we dated for for some time, and uh, and asked her to marry me, and so that's uh, the best decision I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it, it's obvious why you chose Lori, but why did you choose K State? <laughs> Oregon State just did not have a good animal science uh, program at that time. You know, looked at a couple different programs. Michigan State had had, had an awfully good program. But then I uh, I met a guy named Miles P who had a had a big influence on me as well as Galen Fink and so uh, probably the the um, the final you know um, thing that 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 helped me make that decision was Galen offered a job at the Purebred Beef Bar. I thought, well, that couldn't be any better. I could I could you know learn more there, meet meet some you know some of the neatest guys see and and um, and and go to school at the same time so that's what that's what i did oddly enough both of our kids both went to kansas state as well and so so we're we're 100 wildcat fan. did you always think you were going to come back to the ranch or or was there a possibility you wanted to do something else or does it was it always sort of known you were going to come back and and ranch in oregon no i think you know there was a time that i thought it'd be fun to be an angus fieldman you know still looks fun <laughs> but I uh, applied uh, for a couple positions coming out of college, and that's probably when you know things were getting a little tougher on the on the Angus side. They were having a lot of competition, you know, from the Continentals and such, and so they were eliminating you know areas rather than expanding. Them. So they're just at that point when I when I uh, got out, there just wasn't any uh, available, and so I thought, well plan B. And so, you know, a bit, that was always our plan was to go back to the ranch, but maybe not just at that, at that point. But, um, you know, looking back on it, I never regret it. It's, it's been, it's been wonderful. And to have Lori there with me on the ranch, it really solidified that drive to, uh, to kind of, you know, hopefully, you know, take what was already a really neat ranch, um, one step up. Well, I think too, you know, the, the Lord's hand was in that because, you know, when he closes a door, there's usually a reason he closes the door. And the other open door was to come back and get involved in the family business. And, and that was in retrospect, especially was the right choice. You know, at the time you, you think you wonder, well, why didn't that work out? But, um, you know, we just got to trust that the Lord knows where we're supposed to be and he's going to get you where you need to be sometimes if you like it or not. So, um, but it, it was most definitely a really great decision at the time to come back when we did. That would have been right after college. Um, you came straight back to the ranch then. And, and what was your, I mean, both of you came back and uh, Lori, obviously it was, you were, you're a Kansas girl. So what, 
that, that had to be a little bit of a transition for you. And it was interesting. I mean, I remember my mother saying that she would rather me be happy and live 1500 miles away than be miserable and live next door. And so, um, not always easy to be away from family, but Rob's family was so gracious and good to me and, you know, took me in as their own from the very beginning. So that was a huge blessing. You know, I came back. So my, my degree from Kansas State is in apparel and textile marketing, not animal science, but grew up around cattle, different breed, real prim Hereford cattle. Took all my electives at K-State in the animal science department, had my degree in, you know, textiles. So when we came back, I just started working with Rob, beside Rob on the ranch. And I don't even know if that was at the time our plan. I'm not sure. We were, I was 22, so I'm not sure how much of a plan I had, except that I knew I wanted to be with Rob. And so um, I started working outside you know, right beside Rob and his family. And um, I've never done, I haven't worked anywhere else since we've been together for the last 35 years. And so I just have been immersed in this business and which has been wonderful. It's a wonderful way to raise a family and we have a passion for what we're doing. And so my roles have changed over the years um, as you're in different stages of your life. But it absolutely was the best decision we could have made. I think that's right. And I think as, as we think about Thomas Angus, you know, today, you know, we think about you, you being just as big a part of, of that and that, and that family and everything that you guys do is as Rob. And I, I appreciate that. And that's uh, really neat to see. Well, thank you. We, we love it. So you guys are home working on the, working on the ranch and how did that sort of transition, um, to ownership with you guys and and away from your dad. I mean, it's always a curious question as as we look at agriculture and and how things transition from one generation to the next and and we see these multi generational ranches and and we also see some that that fall apart because of it. But um, but you know, how did that transition sort of take place and and uh, and you guys become the the main people there at uh, Thomas Angus Ranch now? You know, I think it was pretty organic. Um, you know, for the most part, I mean, like Lori said, my parents are always pretty gracious. And so they were, you know, I think they understood they're both pretty young thinkers. And so I think they understood, you know, that, that we had a desire um, to take more responsibility, you know, all along, you know, at, at points, you know, they, we probably weren't ready for responsibility. They'd give us just, just enough rope, you know, to realize that we weren't. And then, you know, and then we'd we'd, uh, we'd we'd probably gain from those experiences, and so you know I, we see so many operations that they don't turn that that leadership over to the next to the next generation. I'd say we're we were extremely fortunate and and never took it uh, for granted. But you know, there's always I mean, there's always struggles, and there's always times that 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 we probably thought we could handle more than we could. But I'd have to say, for the most part, my parents were, you know, more than willing to kind of turn over responsibilities. We're ready. Well, we had the pleasure of working with Rob's parents for twenty some years, yeah. and you know, I think Rob's right. I think the uh, responsibility kind of came organically. Like as we could handle more responsibility, they were freely giving it over, but also with guidance. We still sometimes, I'm like. Uh, you know, 
still wish sometimes that somebody else was making some of the decisions. It was a lot easier when, you know, we were just showing up for work and somebody else was making the decisions. You know, they, I, I feel like they trained us well and, um, you know, hopefully the work they put into training us will, you know, be fruitful. And I think that we've been, we've been very blessed with a wonderful life here and being around, being around a lot of people, you know, in the Angus breed that we've come to know and love. And, um, so, you know, it, I would say probably the last, um, probably five years that Rob's dad was alive. Um, he was not outside every day, but he still had his finger on the pulse of exactly what was going on. And funny story, he, he called me one day, I was in the office and he called me and told me there was a group of heifers that was out of feed. And you have to understand that their, their home sits on the top of the hill where he can over, he can see over the pastures on this one particular ranch. And I knew where these heifers were at. And I thought, I don't know how he can tell that these heifers, you know, are out of grass. Like he's just too far away. He can't really tell. So I told him, I said, well, I'll, I'll let Rob know, you know, I'll pass the message along. So I called Rob and I said, you know, your dad says these heifers are out of grass, but I can't imagine, you know, I don't even know how he could tell from up there at the house. So Rob said, well, I'll go check on it. And uh, he went and looked and the heifers absolutely were out of grass. And so Rob's, Rob's dad, Bob, knew exactly what he was talking about. And um, I actually called and apologized to him because I said, you know, I didn't think that maybe you knew what you were talking about, but you were spot on. Those heifers needed to be moved. So I appreciate the call. So he he still is the eye of the master right up to the end, you know. So now we're, we're you guys are starting to take over. And I know you guys have done some fairly innovative things at the ranch. I know... Um, you got into some some IVF uh, deals where you were flushing a bunch of the cows and putting them in dairy cows and just lots of things like that. So tell us a little bit maybe about some of the things you've done to, to grow and expand the ranch and and different sales and locations and, and some of those things. Well, we throw a lot of things against the wall, Jim. Yeah. Some work and some don't. <laughs> and so the, 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 the dairy thing is probably one that didn't, you know, I, I mean, looking back on it, probably... Uh, was not, you know, our, our, our um, best decision, but there was, you know, we, we did learn a lot off of that and we created some pretty unique, unique genetics. We still do, still do a lot of IVF, um, more conventional. So we'll put in uh, this year, probably 800 embryos into, in, into cows across the country. Um, we run a lot of uh, cooperators. And so, and those those people would raise um, bulls from uh, for us from all the way from Idaho to Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, um, kind of kind of all over. We've got a young man that kind of oversees um, that part of it, and so it's it, it's 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 a neat setup. And we I mean we we really enjoy having cooperators. We enjoy the IVF part of it and being able to identify some of the most unique genetics that we have propagate that in a way can, we feel like we can really um, uh, make an impact on the industry. Yeah. You know, as, as I've traveled around and, and experienced different ranches and, and people in ranching, I've always noticed that um, if you're sort of an early adopter innovator, 
you're always going to be that way, no matter how old you get or, or whatever. We tend to think a lot of times that, that younger people are the, the more innovative, but I think there's, I think it's really a personality thing. I think if you, um, if you've sort of been on the cutting edge or, or risk takers or innovators, you're, you're always going to be that way for, for a long time. I remember, uh, one time at, at beef improvement federation, I was, uh, I was watching Dave Nichols who, I don't know how old Dave had to be at the time, but he was, he was showing Dr. Wade Schaefer how to uh, operate his new smartphone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Dave's always been an innovator in, and it, no matter what, he was always going to adopt the new technology that was out there. And I see you guys sort of doing that. And sometimes you're on the bleeding edge of those things, right? Well, I might not know how to operate my smartphone, but I have people around me who do. <laughs> and so, and so that's, that's important. That's the other thing is um, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. And so that's one thing, one thing we've always believed in is that, uh, you know, we've got some great guys working for us um, and girls. I mean, in the end, it's just um, we're so fortunate that our crew is, um, you know, we think the smartest in the industry. And, and so as long as we surround ourselves by smart people, we don't always uh, have to be the smartest in the room, but we know that they're, they're helping us along. Well, and I think that you're right. Like, I think you're either an early adopter of things or you're not. And, you know, Rob's parents certainly were, which I think then, you know, carries on down to us. I mean, Rob's dad used to, when AI first came into use, um, he was at the C.B. Whitney estate in New York and they would, then you're only breeding with fresh semen and they would go to LaGuardia and pick up the semen in some sort of a little styrofoam probably wasn't even styrofoam then i don't know some sort of a package and they would he said well i go how long would the semen last and he said well we'd use it for you know five days or i think that's what he said and he goes but you just knew that each day you were closer to the five days your conception probably wasn't going to be as good but you know and and that was probably him and his training and honing of his craft seeing that that, you know, that was at that time, probably in, you know, the early 50s would have been kind of cutting edge technology. So I think that, you know, that really spurred him to always be an early adopter. And, you know, and that went through his entire life. And I think that we've tried to, you know, be early adopters in the things that are new on the horizon. And, you know, sometimes things work really great. and Sometimes they don't. And then you just pick up the pieces and, you know. Try, try again. I don't think we'll ever get that out of our system for sure. You know, there's been things like um, traditional embryo transplant and, uh, you know, then IVF, you know, uh, grow safe systems. And, and there's just been a, a whole list of things that have helped us along. But there's been also a list of things that didn't always work, you know. And so you, I think you have to be willing to kind of accept that and realize that okay, this was a good idea, this wasn't, and then back up and then, and, then, and then move forward again. But I would hate to ever be at the point where you'd say, um, I'm not going to try new things, you know, because that's, that's the one thing that's kind of, you know, allowed us to, to maybe forge forward a little, little faster is that we do try new things. We, we hope we're always in an early adapter. I would say Rob, Rob is like a big picture thinker. Um, I'm, I'm 
I'm not as much of a big picture thinker. I'm the one that maybe kind of helps them figure out how we're going to make it happen, which is probably why, you know, we feel like we're a pretty good team. Most days we feel like we're a pretty good team, <laughs> but he, Rob, Rob really has the foresight to see the big picture more so than I do. I'm, I'm more detail oriented. And um, so sometimes he comes with, to me with ideas that I kind of go, Whoa, what? I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea, but once, <laughs> once I have a time to kind of think through how we're going to make it happen, then I usually come on board fairly easily. And she's normally the one that makes it happen. <clears throat> I'm, so I'm, I, I sometimes might be driving the bus, but everybody else might be hanging onto the bump. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, 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 it, you, you've got it. I mean, it, it, to have a team, you need to have those people that maybe are visionaries and, and those people that actually get it done. Because if you left me to get it done, I, I would, I would probably would not be, you know, the guy that follows through with things. <laughs> you you got to have, you got to have somebody who draws up the game plan and then you got to have somebody who goes out and executes it, right? <laughs> exactly. And so that's good. Yeah. Now that's what makes a good team. So what are what are some things that uh, that are maybe going on at Thomas Angus Ranch now that might be interesting, or or some things that you guys are doing? Oh, I think I think we're really excited about you know we have we have a lot of uh, satellite sales and, and these have been um, you know growing experiences for us. We're able to kind of reach out to maybe a little bigger uh, or an audience that's further away from our ranch and maybe introduce our genetics to uh, you know a whole new group of customers. We're expanding our uh, feed intake system with a grow safe system, which we think we can not only uh, find out more about the bulls, but also really, you know, get into depth with the donors that we're bringing to this program. You know, our program is, I mean, I talked about the cows earlier, but cattle today, in my opinion, have to be so well-rounded. They have to be great cows, but they also have got to produce that product that consumer wants and, and an Angus breed that's really marbling, but they've got to do it, you know, efficiently. Um, they've got to be able to do it. And I, and I know it's cliche, but sustainably. And so when we, when we, when we talk about sustainably to me in the cattle business, we have to work on feed efficiency and we have to work on producing this cat, these cattle with less, less inputs. And they've got to be able to do it with a force out there or, or a workforce that is um, dwindling. And so they have to do it without a lot of extra ampering. To me, that's, that's where we're going, is, is to produce this, this, this type of animal that will fit into each of these environments and that, that are hand-selected to fit into a, an environment. Yep, I think that's a unique thing about the the cattle business is so many different environments that that they have to survive and thrive in, and uh, and I think I think you're right on with the intake and some of those things. That as I look around at the commercial business today, I I scratch my head and think the only way these guys are going to become more profitable is if they can run more animals on their fixed resources that they have. Because as, as we increase um, output on a lot of these cattle, we also increase input. And so I think if we can decrease input and maintain our output, well, then we'll, th- these guys have an opportunity to become more profitable. And I think, that's, I think you're, you're on the right track for that for sure. Well, I think if we don't produce a, a bull that goes out and makes our customer more money than they're already making, 
You know, I mean, that that's kind of the goal of what we're doing with genetics is being able to produce something that's going to pass something on to our customers that is going to gain them, you know, better margins in this industry we're in. And, you know, also on the female side, of course, we sell a lot more bulls than we do females. But, you know, our goal always is for cattle to go out and do a really great job for whoever buys them and that providing, you know, something new, better, you know, than than what they had before. So if we can do that one thing, you know, that's pretty satisfying. Yeah. And we're, we're asking those cows to do a lot, aren't we? Um, you know, we want them to, to go out and work in an environment, uh, different environments in a cow calf situation. We want them to raise heavy feeder calves that then go into the feedlot and really perform that have awesome carcasses and they all do it, you know, eating less and, and there's so many things that uh, that we ask them to do, and and without um, measuring and taking some of those risks, you never find out the the ones that can do it. Well, and you sure want them in a, you know, I mean, I guess we still want them to be do all those things and still phenotypically like we want to look at them, you know. I mean, because there there have been times in the Angus breed where we were breeding for things that you know kind of started taking away from what an Angus cow is supposed to look like, so. I think that's also something that's super important to us that they do all those things. Plus, you know, you want to go out and drive through the pasture and look at them and that you're proud of what you're looking at. Yep. They're still, you still got to spend time with them, don't you? Yes. So today, uh, what's, what's Thomas Angus Ranch look like today and, and bull sales and what do you guys have going on? We put on five sales a year, Jim. So two of them are here on, on the ranch. Um, the other three are remotely. You know, we're just we're just trying to you know reach as many people as as we possibly can. You know, different environments like you like you know like you were saying. Um, you know, when our Wyoming bull sale is kind of cater it caters uh, mostly to uh, low pap bulls or bulls that that will adjust to altitude, and so it's a it's a totally different beast than you know than than what we produce here at you know lower elevations. Uh, of Oregon. And so we've had to learn a lot about that. Um, we're, we're using a lot of embryo transplant to produce those, those bulls. So we can take that up a smaller population and, and introduce some new genetics to that, you know, our sale down in California, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot different, but we still reach out to people that are looking for production. They're looking for marketing. They're looking for, you know, cows, cattle that that are good footed and can travel and um so those things are those things kind of share commonality but um but that's that's where we're at today still all angus cattle i assume straight angus all angus yes yep yep that's our niche i mean and and um you know we we currently that's that's where we find um to be our strength Uh, a lot of our customers crossbreed and we we supply the Angus component to that, but right now, yeah, that's that, that's. Yeah, you might have to change the name if you if you went out to another breed. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to keep him a, a little honest. We we may have a few, just a few red Angus genetics around here. We've played with some carriers, some black Angus cows that are carriers, and we've made a few red Angus ones, but a very very few. Well, it, at least you don't have to change the name for those. You can still call yeah. them Angus. They're just a different color. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I, I think I'd heard that you were you were playing with some red carrier um, 
Angus cattle. That's 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 pretty cool. Yeah. So what are you doing with that? What's your is is that going into a different environment still, or what do you what do you kind of plans? With uh, that? No, it's 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 the same environment. It's just a different group of clients that um, you know for a number of different reasons. Um, you know, they want to keep the the, the hide red, and so um, for some time we just thought, well, let's let's not get into that. But there are some really neat genetics in the red Angus breed too, and so it's just a complement um, to what to what we're doing. And we're like I said, we're we're very, we're infants in this, and so we have we really have don't have the numbers to really um, make a big impact yet. So for our folks that want to learn more about uh, Thomas Angus Ranch, how would they how would they do that? Uh, the best place is just our website, thomasangusranch.com, and that's where so much of our uh, uh, of, of our uh, information flows through. Our all of our phone numbers are there. And so anybody that wants to call us directly, um, you know, just feel free to anytime. We feel calls all the time and we love talking um, to people. Our customers, our relationships with our customers has been um, extremely strong. And that's, you know, we gain more knowledge through them than anything else. So we love communication. So please call anytime. We also have uh, not only at www.thomasangusranch.com, but we're on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find us there as well. See what I mean by surround myself with people smarter than myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot of the social media ones. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's good as you're still out on Twitter too. That's good. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, so and 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 for the the random person that might be eating at a steakhouse and and see a celebrity picture on the wall, they might uh, they, that could be you as well, right? <laughs> Very few. They they, they you see them mostly in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, we sure we sure appreciate your time and, and you're and Lori's time and and sharing uh, more about Thomas Angus Ranch and and what you guys have going on. And I think um, I think it's really good to portray the the ranching business in different parts of the country and 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 different perspectives on it and and what you guys have going on in uh, in the northwest so really appreciate it appreciate your time today and and uh, look forward to catching up with you again down the road sometime thank you jim thank we just you, want jim. you to know how much we enjoy your program and yeah it's always kind of highlight to be able to tune into your podcast oh thank you i appreciate that well hopefully we can continue and and look forward to when uh, when this one comes out. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jim. For our producer, Carlos Cheraboga, I'm your host, Jim Johnson. God bless and thank you for listening to Brands and Barbed Wire. The Brands and Barbed Wire podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. You can also find additional content at our Brands and Barbed Wire Facebook page and at brandsandbarbedwire.com. We hope you enjoyed Brands and Barbwire. The Brands and Barbwire podcast is sponsored by Jamar Genetics. For semen on our newest herd sires, Jamar Jehovah 8M11 and Jamar Jubal 5P01, please contact Jim Johnson at 434-546-2341 or visit jamargenetics.com.